What's up, everyone? My name is Wes, and you're listening to the Ear Coffee Podcast. For this week's episode, we finally got a chance to check in with Baumgartner, the Minneapolis grunge trio. Late in 2022, they released their self-titled EP, filled with songs they've been crafting over the past few years with a new and solidified lineup. We talked about the band's slow, simmering evolution, the joy that came with recording, and where they're headed next. Without any further ado, here's my interview with Ted, Bert, and Nick of Baumgartner on the Ear Coffee Podcast. How are we doing this Saturday morning? Doing all right, all things all right, considered. Yeah. Pretty good. All things considered. <clears throat> do, do we want to share a, yeah, I, a little I, bit? I split my finger open. I cut it with some kitchen shears, so we're here. Oof. That's that's what you, I can say. You don't say. need your... Your pointer finger to no, talk, no, but you do thankfully. to play guitar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's a the live session will come eventually. So eventually. stay tuned for that. Um, but we are here to talk about the band's EP that they put out last fall. But um, before we get too much into things, let's do some introductions. Why don't mm-hmm. we just go around, name, role in the band, any other pertinent information that you're feeling called by the spirit to share with us? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, my name is Ted. I play guitar. I write the songs, I sing in the band, so yeah. <laughs> right on. Um, I'm Bert, and I play the bass. Uh, I'm Nick. I play the drums, and I do my best to try and write a form. Sometimes, not always. Yep. Hell yeah. The way it goes. That's, yeah. the, that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I modified this question a little bit, if only because Bert and Ted have already dealt with this uh, question several times as veteran podcast guests. Um, but I still want to include everybody in this. I like finding out you know, where people's connections with music, even before they started playing their instrument, began. But in this case, since um, Bob Gunner is a little bit heavier than at least Keep for Cheap, mm-hmm. the band that Ted and Bert are also in, um, what was your introduction to, I guess, as broadly as you wanted to find this, your introduction to heavier music whether that's just kind of like punk hardcore grunge metal just anything that kind of started leading down the pathway to make kind of the noisier stuff that we get to listen to with Baumgartner yeah um I mean so for background I guess a lot of my music influence came from my dad um and he was like a hippie back in the day so I grew up listening to you know a lot of the stuff from the 60s and 70s the Beatles the Who Led Zeppelin stuff like that um so I always like really gravitated towards rock music. Um, but my sister was really like an early influence in terms of, she was always listening to a lot of like alternative stuff. Um, and there was a lot of like grunge and like alternative metal that was being played in the house when I was growing up. Um, and that really didn't start to hit me until like middle school, early high school. And that's when I started listening to a lot of that kind of stuff. I mean, it was, um, a lot of grunge and like thrash metal, oddly enough. Hell that yeah. was like the early stuff. And that was also like I had a guitar teacher named Michael McCarty who kind of introduced me to a lot of like the metal and stuff like that. You know, he showed me like death and and Megadeth and Met- Metallica, shit like that. And um from there, yeah, it just became like its own thing. I would too. love if he showed you like death first. Yeah. Like not, not, we're not, starting, we're going right for the death metal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was what it was. He was, he was obsessed with Metallica. And so it was really like, yeah, I, I, I started getting super into thrash metal. And then he was like, well, if you really want to go the extra mile, here's this okay. stuff. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And you know, like it, 
of course, like it took a while. I mean, it was like I didn't really like it at first. Really, it 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 was something that like took a while for me to really appreciate. Um, but like yeah, after that point, it was sort of like that was the stuff that I really resonated with throughout high school was just heavier stuff and like just I don't know. I was I always had like an infatuation with the nineties and the culture of that time and everything. And so that kind of just all had like a really big impact on wanting to play heavier music as well. So, and, and then it even got more like intense in college. Um, just like I had a professor who like in the first like anthropology class, he showed a, a live, concert of bad brains at the cbgb um and i had heard of them before but i hadn't really listened to them and and after that point i really started to get into punk and hardcore and kind of the the all the cultural like aspects of that as well and like i really started to see music in a very different way um especially before i was just really caught up in like learning how to play guitar and being like somewhat technically proficient, especially with like the influence of metal and stuff. And um, when that stuff really started to come in my into my life, I I kind of stopped giving a shit about that kind of <laughs> stuff and, and realized what was really important was the energy and the ideas and and the camaraderie that all goes into making music and kind of creating a, an experience for people to, you know, all kind of share communally, you know, did. I don't know, like the whole spiritual aspect kind of yeah. became a lot more clear. Versus just like so. nailing like the really complicated riffs. Exactly, are, yeah. I'm impressed by those at least, but that's right. not, that's not you know, the point. <laughs> exactly, right. You know, at a certain point, that kind of stuff, it's just like lifting weights. You know what I mean? It's like you just put in the time and energy and you'll get there, but it, you know, it doesn't mean you can necessarily write a good song, you know? So that's that was kind of like the big game changer for me was like, oh, you know, you don't even have to have like that crazy complicated of riffs it can just be dumb and go hard and that's <laughs> all that matters so oh true yeah. right on that's a good answer uh <laughs> uh <laughs> i mean i don't know for me for me it's a similar start where it's like my dad's a hippie mm -hmm. and grew up you know listening it's the, to the beatles and led zeppelin and fucking the who and stuff like that and great you know and those all have you know, at some points have some heavier elements in them, of course. Mm -hmm. um, the Beatles invented metal, didn't you know? <laughs> did they, dude, I mean, She's here's, so okay, heavy. here's my thing. Here's my thing. Oh, no. I think if, if <laughs> what the have Beatles, I done? if John Lennon had gotten shot, I had a, have a feeling that the Beatles might have gotten back together in the late 80s. Maybe they could have started doing some stimulants. I don't know. <laughs> but I have a feeling that they could have possibly, like, invented grindcore if they had given if they had been given a little bit more time but that's yeah. just, that's a little bit more time and a little, lot more speed yeah right, right. or crack one or the other but yeah. like that's just my pet theory is that the, the beatles if they had their crack arc would have invented grindcore but again i don't know but anyway yeah. that's a little aside but yeah no i just grew up with you know the classic 60s and 70s rock and roll stuff and like so to me that's all that really existed and i was an insufferable child in, in elementary school, particularly. I was just like, I had this inflated ego. I was like, I know the Beatles, and the Rolling Stones, all these other kids don't. And they're like, no, yeah, we do. Um, but so I had that going on. And I guess, I don't know. I'm trying to think like, 
I guess my mom bought me a copy of American Idiot back in 2004, and I was like, yo, this is crazy. And the first <laughs> CD I ever bought on my own was Dookie. So that was kind of got me into the more pop punk kind of side of stuff. And then, weirdly enough, I saw an episode of The Simpsons that was a riff on Sid and Nancy, and I was like, oh, what is this about? And then I kind of researched the Sex Pistols, and that kind of led me down the road of like late 70s, early 80s, like punk stuff like that. And again, it was insufferable because I was seven <laughs> and I was looking at that, you know, like listening to that stuff and some of that stuff is stupid and edgy. And like when you're a child, it's, it's like, whoa, but I don't know. I think where the really heavier side of stuff really came in was I, my, I made a group of friends in like sixth and seventh grade and they were all like already into heavier music. At that time it was just like Metallica they were listening to. Then it was eventually sevenfold and eventually we're getting into black metal and like melodic death metal and all that stuff and you know i didn't was like seventh graders sitting there like listening to like burzum just like <laughs> yeah well that or like yeah exactly well i don't know it was weird because like i was like i don't like this music. <laughs> yeah, and all, yeah. all my friends liked it so i was like oh i have to like it but i i remember like i just kind of went through middle school just being like i'm a classic rock kid but there was a brief period of time when i was a freshman in high school where i was listening to just like um, cattle decapitation and um oh, what was the other band that I was listening to all the time? Uh Cattle Decap and Dying Fetus. Like <laughs> every day for some reason, and then I just shut it off and didn't listen to metal for like years. And I've just kind of recently come around back to listening to metal like more seriously. Um which is funny because I was in a black metal band for two years, you know, and <laughs> recorded a record with them. So it's just like I don't know. I've I've a weird I have a weird relationship with heavy music where it's like I it's not really the thing that I listen to, but when I listen to it, I want it to be fucking evil. <laughs> yeah, like, like yeah, evil yeah. is what I want to listen to. So that's my journey. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. I think my uh, my answer will kind of show my age in that respect. And that my dad, when I was growing up, was very much into like the '80s hair metal kind of stuff. You know, he loved Van Halen, Randy Rhodes, and that kind of stuff. You know, and I listened to it as a kid. Um, I don't think remember being particularly into it, except for like, you know, Ozzy Osbourne kind of stuff. I loved, you know, songs like Mr. Crowley were really good. I think just because I loved like that evil energy that um, that Ozzy gave off and that. Um, and I like that stuff. And then, of course, you know, going into middle school is when I kind of got into the the Avenged Sevenfold stuff and the. Oh, God. The Five Finger Death Punch. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Ooh. I loved it at the time, but oh, it's nasty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that was, you know, my introduction into that kind of heavier metal stuff throughout oh, middle school. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was more just a, re a reflection of where I was at through middle school. It was not not a fun time for anybody, but oh, oh boy. <laughs> um, you know, and then and then... Going to School of Rock and Soundcheck at the same time, I got introduced to, you know, songs like Hangar 18 from Megadeth. So that was also another um, area in which I, you know, heard some heavier music. Um, and then into high school, uh, I learned more about Alice in Chains and Nirvana and um, Soundgarden. And that's the stuff that I really clicked with. And it's not, you know, necessarily heavy metal but it's that that grungy that slimy that nasty mm. the energy that that i really loved because you know i was an alt kid you know i was a little bit alienated so i, I liked that energy um mm. so 
by super unknown on like tape and like a flannel. Like, yeah. I'm ready yeah. for 10th grade. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, it We're was living in Seattle. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the nineties. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm not as much of a heavy metal fan, but I, I like that evil energy. Like Bert was saying, that's, that's kind of what I got out of it. And then, you know, going into Baumgartner, that's what I kind of want to create with that is that, you know, that, um, aggressive evil energy. It's really fun. Slimy. I like to get slimy. Yeah. Slimy. That's where it's at, dude. <clears throat> the yeah. sludge. Well, it's like I'll be sitting there listening to Pale Hound, and then I'm like, ah, I think it's time to put on like a poop death metal. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know? poop death metal. I, I sometimes like, like back when like Spotify like had like a little star system mm. where it would just add everything to a playlist. Like all the stuff I was listening to, like in high school, is all in the same playlist. So it'll mm-hmm. go from like Veggie Tales to like Panopticon. <laughs> yeah. just like folk black metal, and then it'll go back to like like synth pop and just it's like I, I can't listen to it anymore it's like yeah. I'm giving myself a headache yeah. Yeah. Like, I still yeah. like all this stuff but it needs to be a little bit more separate unless you're like mm-hmm. in the mood where you're just like gotta flip a switch no yeah, yeah it's, right. there's it's gotta be intentional when I'm going mm-hmm. from the pop or for like the indie rock to the mm-hmm. the poop death metal mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't want to be listening to like my you know I'm listening to my indie rock and then have fucking like I don't know Judas yeah. Iscariot come on and just like like <laughs> blow me up I'm like right. oh god no, it's like, like crash your car. Yeah. yeah. No, it's like I'll go from listening to Billie Eilish and then, oh man, I want to listen to Alice in Chains right now. I want to listen to Facelift and yeah. Yeah. It's, but if you got it out in the playlist, then it's, yeah. it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, cool. Um, so getting into the actual lore of Baumgartner, um, the band formed in about early 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And it was, yeah. I think in my, in my research, um, <laughs> which just means like, Checking your Instagram. Right, right. <laughs> Scroll through. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was born out of like a previous project, which I don't actually know if I had known. Yeah. So talk a little <laughs> bit about the origins of the band, starting with you, Ted, and Nick are the, the, yeah. the founding mm-hmm. members. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, um, me, I mean, all of us have kind of met through School of Rock, um, you know, after school music program. Um, and, uh, like we had like known of each other and we were like friends and we played like songs together and stuff, but it wasn't like, um, you know, there wasn't any like real cohesion or anything. Um, but once I got into high school, I went to a different music program called Soundcheck, which is no longer here. Um, but, and Nick went there as well. And we had just been, you know, doing that for a while, taking lessons and doing whatever. Um, and I, at a certain point, I just started having ambitions about, you know, making my own band. Um, and so I, we, I formed a band with Nick, um, and this other guy, Jackson Peters, um, who now he's doing like jazz yes, guitar, yeah. like hardcore jazz mm-hmm. guitar. Oh, wow. He's, he's playing around Minneapolis too and stuff. So it's, it's very cool. cool. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a band called the contingents, um, it was a very, um, I mean, it was my first band and it was very like confused. You know what I mean? I was figuring out uh, a lot of stuff about, you know, songwriting and, and my own self and, and, and shit. And so, um, I was very like, my influences were still really all over the place. And, um, it, it kind of became this confused mesh of like Queens of the stone age, but also like Radiohead, Yeah. And like, it didn't like super work, you know what I mean? Yep. It, it was, it was whatever, you know what I mean? Um, and we played some gigs, um, 
like we'd play at sound check shows and then we'd also play some of our own bar gigs. We, there was a few times we played like the poor house in downtown Minneapolis. Oh, wow. And that was, that was always an interesting time. Yeah. Uh, the shit that you see at the poor house is really, can yeah, be uncomfortable. So weird. I mean, there was one time we played a show there and there was just this guy who came in and it looked like he just got off from like doing like a massive hike. Like he had a mm. backpack and shit oh, man. and like boots and whatever. And he was looking dirty. Yeah. And, and there was this uh, lady that he got with there and they were like, like dry making out, like Whoa. dry humping. Oh. That's, yeah. And then they like um, moved around the bar. And so like they ended up like by the entrances of the bathroom and they were doing that that shit right there so you yep. had to like walk by them oh, to get yeah. to the bathroom you're like what the fuck oh yeah and there's this like secret passageway to like a lounge area um and like them. they went through they disappeared, they disappeared for that. a yeah. time and then reappeared oh, and we no. were kind of like oh no oh, like no. what the hell did and they it's do just, yeah it was the worst because like there was a time where he had her up on like a table <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, dude. And, and it was just like I mean you're upstairs on the second level trying to watch the music or whatever and then you look the other direction and you see that and it's just it was that yeah, that venue was strange yeah it was bizarre yeah even without going that far like if people are like macking on each other like that yeah. or like during any kind of music mm-hmm. even if it's like a slow dance song mm-hmm. if like a band has it's just mm-hmm. like don't do it you're in public weirdos like right. go home focus on the music and yeah calm yourselves <laughs> yeah literally yeah and so um what kind of developed was just like the i mean that band kind of fizzled out just because I think me and Nick were definitely um, kind of gearing towards going in a heavier direction. Mm-hmm. And um, for Jackson, he just wasn't as interested in that. And so there was like a little bit of tension there that kind of, I don't know, kind of impeded any sort of forward progress with that group. And um, I eventually, you know, went off to college. And so I just kind of called like a basic like hiatus or whatever, um, for some time just so I could get into the groove of being in school and whatever. Um, and, um, then that, that was sort of a period of time where, um, things really started to change, um, just because, you know, we spent time apart and everything. Um, and, uh, you know, at that time then too, it was like, that's when I started really getting into like punk and hardcore and that whole thing. And, um, I, Basically, like the the project of Baumgartner was born out of living in um, in an apartment with two other people, and um, I mean, we were we were living in fucking squalor um, and just like the most mentally ill bunch of people. Um, you know, one of my roommate turned out to be a rapist, and. Um, it was really fucked up. Um, there was just like a lot of drugs, lots of psychedelics yep. and lots of weird mind games mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like really fucked up manipulative shit um, that went on that was really like disturbing, yeah. you know, um, and I was really naive. Um, I hadn't really experienced um, how fucked up people can really be. And so I wasn't really privy to a lot of the minutia of what was going on. And um, I had gotten out of like a really terrible breakup and like people just couldn't keep my name out of their fucking mouth. And so I was full of like a lot of, of rage. I was very, very angry and alienated and um, fed up with just a lot of shit. And um I was one of the other roommate that I had who's still my good friend Mars. Um, he kind of was somebody that I could bounce ideas off of and 
he's a creative dude. He does kind of his own like art and, and shit like that. He's mo- like mostly uh, digital and like photography stuff that he likes to do. And um, it kind of just came out of like, we would sit on the porch and chain smoke and, and whatever. And uh, the initial idea was I had this, that name for bomb gardener that was like kind of stewing in my head. I was like, that name was like, Oh, that sounds cool. What does that sound like? And, you know, I kind of just, um, passed that idea along to Mars and was like, what do you think about this for a band name? You know? And he was like, Oh, that sounds really cool. And, you know, um, and so kind of the beginnings of that then was, you know, I, I was thinking about Nick again and I was like, well, you know, he's a really talented drummer and like, we have a lot of the same influences. So that's when I kind of reconnected with Nick. Um, and at that point I just was starting to write stuff, um, in the apartment and coming up with riffs and things. And, um, through all those experiences, yeah, just like figuring out all that stuff, it was things felt like they were starting to finally come together mm-hmm. a bit. Um, and it all really started with, um, you know, once we had a couple songs together, Mars had taken a picture of this cigarette drawer that we had that was basically like a massive <laughs> <Yeah>. ashtray. <laughs> um, and there was like hundreds of cigarettes in there. Um, and he took a picture of that and like put it through some filters, you know, fucked it up a little bit. And then and that kind of came, was like, oh, that's going to be like the demo cover. Yeah. Um, and so I spent some time recording some demos with Nick. Um, and we played a couple shows as like a two piece, mm-hmm. um, you know, at like high watt house. And, uh, I think at like cadenced as well, a couple times. Um, and, uh, that's when we were really kind of in the stage of like really formulating the sound and, and Mm. like, just like we were listening to a lot of music and, and talking a lot about like what we wanted to go for. Um, you know, it was, it was a lot of like, I mean, early stuff, it was like a lot of Nirvana and butthole surfers and just like wanting to have that attitude of like, you know, something that's heavy and raw and like visceral, but is also doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, and so as like that kind of came together, you know, unfortunately then the pandemic hit. Um, and so that kind of, you know, put a stop on things for a while. Um, but you know, just kind of kept writing through that pandemic. Um, and once like we kind of got out of the thick of it, um, you know, we were looking for a bass player. We had, we had a couple like people try and play bass for us, um, you know, before and things didn't like super work out just because of, you know, personal reasons and, and people have having their own shit going on in their life. And, um, I, I basically made a call on social media that was like, we're looking for a bass player, like who's going to do it. And a lot of people reached out and were interested. Um, but then Bert reached Mm. out personally. and was like, Hey, I'd, I'd like to play bass punk band like (laughs) and i was like hell yeah dude that sounds cool and so yeah and that's been basically the lineup for you know two years coming up you know i think now grace really i think so yeah and 2021 yeah and so it's like i think our first show together um was you know uh the three of us at seventh street entry and we opened for floodwater angel and and diva j which was like a really incredible show um it was insane because, I mean, the night before we all got really oh. fucking drunk and, and like... I didn't know if I was going to be able to make you know, it to that show. Yeah, it was, it was bad. We were, like, yeah. literally sitting there, like, Just suffering, trying, yeah. trying to be present as much as possible. Oh, yeah. Um, but then we went up there and we played a great show yeah. and it sounded awesome. And I think really the the what's kind of uh, 
come to show with that is just like the history that we've had as as musicians together yeah. be like the fact that we've just known each other since well, all of us have been in middle school yeah. practically and i'd like to yeah and i just so. want to add to like about that piece of you know living in that apartment too you know i i wasn't you know privy to that the the um drama and all the messed up shit that happened you know because i didn't spend i didn't live there um but i think something that added to the sound that we cultivated too is like i spent a lot of time hanging out with you guys in that apartment yeah. too and then mm-hmm. you know smoking way too much weed and all the psychedelics and stuff but you know i think that also just gave us gave me especially an opportunity to be introduced to you know music like electric wizard Mm -hmm. and melvin's you know and even even gorilla stuff that i had never heard of before and of course you know being stoned all the time you listen to that stuff you're like whoa you yeah. know, and that start crying. Yeah, like, you're like, yeah. The riffs. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, and that and that introduced me to like just a different way of playing drums too. You know, with like, you know, with the the stuff that I love too about you know Nirvana and um, uh, Soundgarden, that drumming, and then adding in drums like Melvin's and that really heavy, stupid, mm-hmm. ignorant kind of stuff. But it, yeah. it hits, and it was yeah. really cool. Um, yeah. And that also, yeah, just that that time that was spent together doing, you know, hanging out like that also allowed us to kind of find a sound. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, kind of going back to that time when you're really first starting to pull these songs together. Cause a lot of the songs that were on that tar demo that came out late 2019 mm-hmm. um, were re-recorded and mm-hmm. they yeah. ended up on the EP. So mm-hmm. these songs have been around for a while. And mm-hmm. when you were first putting those songs together, was it like you would just, spend this time like come out with like the lyrics and the the song structure and then bring it to Nick or was it more of like a fully formed thing? How has kind of the process I guess evolved even beyond that once mm-hmm. you two really solidified as a duo and then especially once Bert joined mm-hmm. and you actually had like the full three piece had that fuller sound with mm-hmm. a low end and yeah, yeah. <laughs> without just you playing bass at least because right. like, I think you did on the demo. Right, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, just talk a little bit about that those early, the early process for these songs because they've had so much time to breathe and grow before coming into their final yeah for now for absolutely yeah i mean um the first song that really started to come together was windmill and that and that was just a riff that started at first that i was like yeah it it was like a uh just like stuck in my head and there was something about it to me that had this energy and i couldn't really figure out where to go with it Um, and it was a lot of like bouncing it off of Nick, um, you know, and like got into a groove with that. And I started being able to figure out, you know, how to structure the, the songs and everything. And so there was a, it was a definitely like partially collaborative and partially there were some songs that I could, I pieced together like on my own fully fledged structure and would bring to Nick and we would really talk about, okay, what are the drums going to do? Um, you know, and that was kind of like, I think a huge influence from the Melvins, you know, was just like the idea of how much the drums really play a role in kind of shaping a song and its structure. And so, you know, I, a lot of the time it would just be like, I'd have riffs. Um, sometimes it would be like an AB thing, you know, where it's like you go back and forth between two different parts and we would just like, a lot of it was just like playing it over and over mm-hmm. and hammering it out and being like, what do you think about this? Like what, like and playing it and feeling it and thinking about like what would suit that structure exactly. the best. So, yeah, cause I think, you know, in the way that we wrote them earlier on too, it's like, you know, I never had 
um, you know, a, a solid form, but, it, you know, I found it really easy to, or not easy, but very like intuitive to, you know, have a riff and then just like, oh, this is the kind of drum beat that I think would sound cool. You know, what do you think mm-hmm. of this? Or, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times Ted would have, you know, an idea of, uh, you know, kind of beat that they want. Um, and then, yeah, like Ted says, just like jamming on that Feeling and then out, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, this feel would be kind of cool to play in between that, you know, and then you kind of get that energy flowing where it just kind of flows naturally, I mm-hmm. suppose. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think a lot of it was like really learning how to turn off your brain yeah. and not think about <laughs> the like, yeah, it's just not thinking, but feeling it mm-hmm. because that was what would create the energy that we wanted, you know? Um, so it was make, like, make it very organic. Yeah, exactly. You know, not trying to intellectualize things and, and just kind of, yeah, let things flow freely. Mm-hmm. Uh, since, uh, these songs have just had so much time to grow and kind of, with live shows, with practice, with recording, um, has the process remained pretty consistent? Um, now the birds in the fold and then with mm-hmm. the other songs that are newer, whether they were some of like the unreleased stuff that, may hopefully see the light of day mm-hmm. or the couple of new songs that did end up on the EP mm-hmm. has it really just been maintaining a truth of that kind of just, we want to make sure it's organic, see what feels right for us mm-hmm. or what is kind of that growth been? What has that process yeah. changed like? Yeah. I mean, now it's, it's a lot of the time. Um, I really find that uh, a lot of the songs that I write, um, I usually end up writing them um, on my own and I usually can feel out a structure and I try to, I try to have like a full song written when I bring it to the band. Um, and, um, that, at that point it is kind of a similar thing where Nick gives his input, Bert might give his input. And there's been certain things like, you know, we've been playing a song for a while and like one song, like praise fetish, that song like was pretty much written like totally, but as we were jamming on it as a band, figuring it out, you know, it was like Bert had an idea about let's have this little transition part where it's like, and that like those little things start to like come yeah. together as like a collaborative process. Those subtle really, shifts. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. And that like kind of elevates everything, you know? Um, and like r- more recently too, it's been like um, having, sometimes I have ideas where it'll be like a partially written song and it's, you know, I know it can go somewhere, but I don't have like the ending figured out or there's like, oh, I know something's going to happen here, but I don't know what it is. And so it's like, you know, just jamming together as a band, you know, me and Bert have like jammed together on our own, um, just figuring out like where to go from there. And, you know, so a lot of the time it's like, I really try to have that full structure done. And if I can't, then it's like, I just bring what I have to the mm-hmm. band. Um, and, and then that's when like the, you know, it's a mostly, you know, collaborative process, but I usually try to come in with the skeleton at the very, at the very least, least, you yeah. know, when so. I feel like it's, it's becoming more collaborative. As mm-hmm. we yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like the mm-hmm. last two or three, well, except for like the, the hardcore punk song, <laughs> that one, yeah. that was fucking oh. done when yeah. we came out with it, but yeah, it's 50 seconds long. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of writing to do, <laughs> yep. but like yep. the last like two or three songs, I mean, it's, I'd say they've become progressively more and more co-written by the three yeah. of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, you know, the two of us will bounce the whole riff shit off of each yeah. other. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, this riff, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. stuff. And then, but we'll come to an impasse. We'll be like, we don't know how to go to the next section. And it's just, the answer is just drums. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Drums, well, nickel and, dude. Cause you're yeah. a fucking amazing well, drummer. Thank you. Yeah. So well, you, we're just like nickel. And then you're like, 
know, you do your shit. And I find too, like with the, the writing for the drums that I do in, in Baumgartner really isn't writing, which I don't know, it feels kind of lazy, but at the same time I found myself like with all the feels that I do and stuff like that between sections and songs, especially, you know, for songs like Windmill that we've had for so long, I found myself like over these years, I'm still changing things that yeah. I don't like and I'm still changing things about the fills mm-hmm. um, that I want to sound different. Um, and I and I think that's cool um, because it yeah. still kind of fits with that organic sense where it's like, you know, as I grow with a drummer, I'm still tweaking things about um, the transitions and the fills that I do that I want to sound a certain way and to, you know, feel a certain way in a song. So I think that's especially true for drummers where mm-hmm. like, more so than I think, like any other instrument, you can kind of like, and this is coming from the perspective of someone who does not play the drums. So <laughs> yeah. if I'm full of shit, no, you're call good. me out. <laughs> um, where you really like that feeling based mm-hmm. style. It's sort of because you are writing, but like it doesn't feel like writing. Exactly. It's just like what yeah. actually feels right here, what fits with yes. what yeah. the more kind of compositionally mm-hmm. driven stuff is. And like, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's plenty of drummers that. <laughs> Are very intentional with their oh, fills, yeah, and they absolutely. play the same fill every single time, and that's totally cool. Yeah, yeah, you're, we're not shaming that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for a project like Baumgartner, for a sound like this, I think, and that we keep on touching on just the organic mm-hmm. well, and that's, mindset. That's where funny because like, really, that that makes me think of like when I was when I was younger, and I was like I don't know eight, nine, ten, eleven, starting out and playing drums, and I was doing like this writing assignment for school. And I, I was talking about playing the drums and like one of the things I said is like, you know, a 10 year old kid's like, yeah, and if you got any like pent up rage, you can just get it out playing drums. And my dad read that and is like, you've got rage. <laughs> and at the time I was like, rage. I mean, yeah, like it was just, I didn't, it was so normal to me, but I think it's funny because it's, you know, it's just that emotional approach to playing drums, yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah, I want it to sound technically good. You know, I want my fills to like. You know, I don't want them to be sloppy, but, you know, I want them to change in the way that sounds good, you know. Right, yeah. Like, as you, as everyone grows as yeah, musicians yeah. as well and grows as, like, an, an ensemble, I think that's important to have that kind of openness yeah. Yeah. to it all. So, mm-hmm. hell yeah to that. Um, getting a little bit more into the EP, uh, came out in the end of November last year, so mm. um, I was very glad that, there's actually like an official release to finally have an excuse yeah. to get y'all on yeah. the show. That's always <laughs> yeah. what we run into. It's like, we've seen the bands live. We know they have songs. Yeah. It's like recording is such a mm-hmm. ordeal sometimes and yeah. such a cost that yeah. it is a very huge barrier. <laughs> yeah. And we don't need to get too much into the capitalism of it all. <laughs> right. But um, with these songs, why did these songs, especially the ones that have been with y'all for so long, why did you think that they felt so good together. And then the two new songs with the Baumgartner by Baumgartner on the mm-hmm. album Baumgartner mm-hmm. um, just makes me think of Talk Talk by Talk Talk on Talk Talk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not New Wave, but... Right. Uh, but also self- New Wave. <laughs> <laughs> Spiritually. Yeah. Um, yeah. With Praise Fetish and Baumgartner. Um, and then there were the other two songs, I think, that you had sent that were recorded around the same time but did not end on uh, the albums. So yeah, like with yeah. With the newer songs that ended on the album... And then the other songs that are newer that Mm -hmm. may hopefully see the light of day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the plan is for those. I mean, we're sitting on those as just sort of like singles to release at some point as just like more new music while we work on writing the LP. Um, Because, yeah, the the other two songs, Superstore and Free, they were kind of those were kind of written 
amidst the pandemic mm-hmm. and they kind of have their their own vibe to them yeah. and um, i remember you know. like i was scrolling through my like itunes library and i think like, you must have like emailed or dm'd us something mm-hmm. during the pandemic You're like mm-hmm. hey we got these new bomb grinder demos yeah. it was just those two so- yeah or at least it was superstore there might have been another one but mm-hmm. i just had like a little separate folder it was like demos 2020 I'm like i didn't i didn't remember this oh, yeah <laughs> yeah no yeah yeah i mean it was really like yeah, I think those songs just like for whatever reason they they felt separate from the vibe of what has become the EP. Even though like Praise Fetish and Baumgartner were kind of written around the same time, those mm-hmm. definitely have um there's a it's a darker vibe for sure yeah. whereas like Superstore and Free they're a little bit more upbeat. There's mm-hmm. there's there's a bit more of an uh, energy of triumph mm-hmm. I think with mm-hmm. those songs. Um, whereas yeah, praise fetish and, and bomb gardener are just kind of like, that's like pure agony. And, yeah. You know, the, so. they, they do fit the vibe. I, I well, can vouch yeah. for that. Yeah. yeah. Those are I, rock songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I will add to that too. I think with the, how we, you know, put those songs together in the EP, I think also correlates to like when they were written too. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. you know, the batch of earlier songs that we have were definitely heavier, um, and more raw. Um, and then those two newer ones that we have kind of you know, align with how we've grown as, you know, a group and how we write those songs or mm-hmm. how Ted writes them too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, they, they feel, the songs in the EP feel both lyrically and musically. Joe and I were talking about this in the car earlier. Like they feel very misanthropic. Like they're, they're <laughs> kind of unforgiving. It's just like both in terms of like perception of like self and of others. It's just very raw. That's yeah. another word of the day. Yeah. Um, hmm at least touching on some of the lyrics, especially for a moment here, like, yeah, yeah, totally. What have been like some of the th- emotions you try to like connect with? Cause like the music speaks for itself, but mm-hmm. the lyrics are going parallel to that. They are working in conjunction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So share a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, lyrically, I think a lot of that stuff, you know, um, it was sort of an influence of, um, just kind of saying whatever came to mind and kind of, I, I have this attitude about lyrics. That's like, it's always starts as word salad. Mm. Um, it's just kind of, as I write a melody or whatever, I'm just saying random syllables and and things that just kind of come out. And uh, usually that's where I start to find words. And uh, I don't know, as I, I don't think, very intentionally about the lyrics, like the, the content of themselves. Mm -hmm. It's more about what sounds good and what's fun to say. And usually the meaning kind of comes afterwards. There's sort of a stage where I've written it and it's fully fledged lyrics. And then I kind of come to interpret them at that point. Um, yeah. And, and so a lot of it, I guess is it, you could say, I don't know if it's, it's like subconscious or if it's like cathartic, but you know, it's, mm-hmm. it was like, I mean, it was just like, I was around a lot of really shitty people, um, and around a really fucked up shit. And, um, I needed an outlet for a lot of that. And, um, a lot of it too was, is, you know, coming to terms with, um, you know, unfortunately just the nature of society and the culture that we live in and my whole relationship to, to the world and other people and the relationship with myself. Um, and I, I mean, as I've always kind of gone on doing it, um, I kind of think about it as a process of just internal 
introspection and, and reflection on on things that that happen to me and other people every day and sort of uh kind of i don't know an obsession with the negative and <laughs> and trying to um talk about that because it's always something that i feel is um i mean it these are things that are really difficult to talk about and it it's things that people don't necessarily always want to talk about either um but i've always kind of viewed it as a self-improvement project you know um wanting to be a better person and wanting to understand why i think the way that i think and understand how other people think and come to interact with the world around them and so you know a lot, yeah, a lot of that time it's it's just me letting out shit that I've been stewing on, you know. It's purely emoting, you know. I yeah. I, I don't try to um have yeah. any grandiose sense. Like sitting there with pen to paper, it's just like keeping with the, the, the sense of like everything is coming from feeling. Yeah. First and foremost. Mm-hmm. And then Absolutely. everything kind of connects after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. With the uh recording process, um just Talk a little bit about that. Just was it home recorded? Did you work with someone else? Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously, only real frame of reference is live or the demos and these songs. They have more of that crunch that they really mm-hmm. need. Yeah. To, that you want from this kind of music. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, what was that process like? Um, yeah. For um, these guys. Uh, yeah, we we recorded with um, Elijah Dietenberg okay. um, of King Creation and. Funnily enough, it was it, part of the reason too was um, in our previous project, the Contingents. Um, we had recorded um, some songs with Elijah for free because he was going to McNally at the time, and so we had already had an experience of working with him before. Um, and when we had done that initially, it was kind of rushed, and we just kind of went in and recorded five, six songs in a day, and we're mm-hmm. just like, okay, like, let's get it all done. Yep. Um, and so this time it was like, you know, with that, that time apart and coming back together to work on something again, um, I mean, all of us had really grown and changed and and we had more sense of, you know, what we really wanted to get out of it. And, um, Elijah knew what we wanted to go for too. And so it was just a very natural sort of like, yeah, we're going to make a big fucking heavy, hard rock record. (laughs) And, um, and it worked out really well. I mean, um, you know, we just recorded in this house that had been, you know, um, renovated into being a studio. And um, it was, you know, I I wanted to go for like a Steve Albini style sort of recording setup where it's like it's a very live room. You know, it's wood paneling and everything. So you really get that feeling of like you're in a basement when you're listening to that stuff. Because, um, yeah, all those recording techniques that I really loved hearing on records. I just wanted to emulate that and, and really carry that sound through. And it, yeah, it was just very, very seamless. I mean, we had been working on the songs for so long and, um, you know, Elijah had like really cool things to contribute to that felt like, you know, it wasn't like he was taking control or anything, but he was contributing in a way that felt very like balanced. it was elevating the, the work. And so, not like trying yeah. to like seize control of the steering wheel. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, it, it felt very natural in that way. So when he's such a gentle dude, yeah. like he's the most gentle, mellow dude I've, I think I've ever met in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And like we're 
different. <laughs> you know, Ted a little crazy. I, well, it's yeah. like Ted and I have this weird dynamic where we're really antagonistic to each other. <laughs> like it's kind of a joke. But like, we're all like, Fuck you, I hate you. Yes. And so, like, I think obviously, like Elijah was kind of taken aback by that <laughs> slightly when we yeah. started yeah. Yeah. and then it's over time i think he started to get it and like mm-hmm. in what you were saying about like the live room all of us sitting there and then like elijah just on the other side of the glass you know mm-hmm. it did feel very it felt very intimate the mm-hmm. just the the four of us doing mm-hmm. all of that and like over time like you know we were being fucking goofballs yeah. and yes. like yeah. We kept being like, yeah, we're gonna put some, we're gonna put some stank on this record, put some shit on it. Yeah. We're, gonna, yeah. we're gonna come and shit and fart on this yeah. record, yeah. stuff like that. And like Elijah was like, I don't really give a fuck. Yeah. yeah. But then yeah. eventually, he, like we come, come in, it. Yeah. he got it. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. came in one morning and he was like showing us what he he been doing some some stuff, mm-hmm. engineering on on some of the 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 stuff we had recorded the day before. And he was like, he looked at us and he just smiles and he goes. I put some shit on this. <laughs> play and it was like, we're like, yeah, there is some shit on yeah. there. Damn. Well, and even like the way that he um, mixed the drums and some of the songs made it sound like there was, you know, especially for two of the songs that are my favorite is, you know, Baumgartner and Mr. Yes. You know, for mm-hmm. Mr. Yes, I did some auxiliary percussion in the intro and I wanted it to sound a very certain way. I wanted it to sound ethereal like you're in some fucked up clown carnival thing um and he made it sound like exactly like i wanted it to um and then the same with with Baumgartner, he made the snare sound very metallic like it was in you know a metal drum and it's it was perfect like mm-hmm. like you said he kind of he kind of got what we were going for even though we were talking about it in such stupid terms yeah. Yeah. that were so abstract exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah no and exactly those drums sound fucking huge it, no, exactly. and yeah. like yeah i think it's crazy because did we record all of the songs on the first day, like just the main the, the main tracking, was it the two days that we did that? I think I two think it took days. two days yeah. to okay. get to track everything, and then it was going back and doing overdubs and yeah. redoing parts. All yeah. I remember, I, what I remember is recording basically the entire EP in the first weekend, and we had how many weekends booked? Like uh, we had booked three, and then we ended up just doing two mm-hmm. because things just were moving so quickly, and mm-hmm. then and we weren't really planning on recording. Um, like superstore and free we because i we just figured oh we'll just record the ep but we had so much extra time Mm -hmm. that it was like well fuck it we'll just record everything that we have um and then we'll decide what goes on the ep and then what we'll release later save is 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 the dessert (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so. Nice little algorithmic boosts, you know. Mm-hmm. Gotta, gotta yeah. put the gas in there. No, you at least yeah. have enough, like an A side, B side. Yeah. Like, <laughs> even if we're not going like full like vinyl asshole, like just like mm-hmm. get on a seven inch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> flexi. Yeah. Um, do, do the hippocampus and just like give people like little flexies. Just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we got obviously wait. big inspiration. Midnight for you guys. needs to right, get another yes. pressing. Midnight needs another pressing. <laughs> we. I'm going to kill you. You need to stop. The <laughs> there you go. That's the spirit. Yeah. I still have enough like record store employee trauma. Like people should, like, yeah, we should buy some King Gizzard. I'm like, shut up! No, <laughs> God, no. no. Like, I'm a real vinyl collector. I I treat my records like shit. I, yeah. I haven't put any of them away. Any of the records I've bought in the last, I year leave them, them out. Oh I just God, yeah. I, they've just been piling up. I'm like, I've got so many on my shelf. I don't want to re-alphabetize them. So I'd rather just ruin them by like just letting them sit there. But anyway, I'm a uh, real record. I'll, I'll, I'll take a day and just help because that is exactly <laughs> the kind of stuff that satisfies like my brains. Like let's alpha someone's record collection yeah, and add yeah. everything to discogs find the exact pressing 
Just makes me think of um, when uh, Nardwar uh, interviewed Keith Morris, and Keith <laughs> Morris was just like, who the fuck taught you how to handle vinyl, dude? And he was just like, you don't grab it with your fingers on the vinyl itself, okay? No. Like, it was prints. so funny. Mm. I mean, don't yell at Nardwar, Keith, but <laughs> even if you are right. Um... Nardwar can handle it, man. Yeah, he, he'll rise above. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, anyways back on topic Mm -hmm. um so uh this can be whether it's a moment for you individually or Mm -hmm. just a moment that really stands out when you're listening back to the ep but um what is your favorite moment or like if moments when you are listening back like Mm -hmm. what are the moments that stand out on this ep to Mm -hmm. each of you individually yeah um yeah i think yeah, I I really enjoy how the EP has come together. I I really like the the way that it flows, um, just from track to track, and all of the the little like details that we were able to flesh out with Elijah um, that really make it feel like a listening experience, you know. Um, and like, yeah, for me, standout is definitely Praise Fetish with like when that guitar you know, kicks in at towards the end of the song, everything else drops out. Like it's just that moment that feels very like, yes, like hardcore punk, like, fuck yeah, this is rock and roll. Like rock and roll. So yeah, that's yeah. For me, that's definitely a highlight. Uh, sorry. I just had a thought, but I think it's funny that we both, we use rock and roll as a, like a descriptor mm-hmm. to both be pejorative and to say that it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's just a rock and roll that's song, a- but we'll be like, if rock and roll, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not like really like, a rock and roll song like you yeah. think like oh it's like Elvis or like the Beatles yeah. like, it's like no but it is rock and roll yeah, yeah. Right. state right. of mind it's like exclusively <laughs> describing things as rock and roll that are not emphatically not rock and roll yeah, but yeah. Like, exactly like, yeah. when you say like punk rock in response it's just like, it's like an affirmation instead yeah, of like yeah. something that's like at all to do with punk rock yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. anyways Sorry. a little aside. <laughs> yeah. you're good yeah. well I mean I think the the two songs that stand out to me a lot is just the the sounds of the drums and the the auxiliary that I did for Mr. Yes and then Bomb Gardner. I think you know what what Ted was mentioning before too, like that the basement is all just wood paneling, and the way that that makes the drums sound too is very like not dry, but like you know it's in a space, mm-hmm. right? And then I think that's almost contrasting too to the the, the auxiliary percussion I did on Mr. Yes, where. It's very ethereal, and then it kicks into something that's very grungy, very tangible. And then, you know, the snare sound, too, on Baumgartner, where it sounds like the snare is inside of a, you know, 55-gallon steel drum. It's It resonates, and it's it's sick. You know, it hits. So It hits? Yeah. You you said tangible. I like, I like that. Yeah. That's a good word for it. Because, like, yeah, the record, I kind of solidifying what I had said before, before a little mistake, but, um, uh, like kind of taking what both of you said, like tangible, like we've like, I being in that room together, the three of us with Elijah, just kind of the other side of the glass, it felt so tight and it felt so intimate mm-hmm. when we were doing it. And like, we're recording these heavy songs that are some of them really fast, some of them really slow. And like, I don't know if it would have been, if we were all just like individually tracking our parts like yeah, separately, yeah. it just wouldn't have worked because mm-hmm. yeah. there has to be that kind of feel with some of these songs. And like, um, yeah. And, and what you, Ted, what you were saying about like praise fetish, like that's, that's one of my fucking favorite songs of all time. Not just for this band, not just for the DP. I love that song. 
and you know maybe a low bar to say but like you should at least like the songs that you play in your band but i love this song i fucking hate practicing i hate doing anything involved with the band but i'm mad if i don't get to play this song at band practice because it's just so fun it's so fun and like you know like i said like it's my favorite part of the ep is that these songs are so heavy and sludgy and slimy all that but then there's these pockets of like fun like you can hear that we're having fun when we're yeah. recording it which is funny like we're yeah. you know we have this <laughs> we're this idyllic house in the suburbs that you know back faces a lake and it's all this stuff and then we're yeah. recording these just miserable songs <laughs> about like hating society and yourself and, <laughs> yeah Drinking oh, too yeah. much, <laughs> well, drinking nasty liquor that you got to water down. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know. <laughs> can't, oh, I don't know. Only what, Malort shots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. I can't remember which track it is on the EP, but I think when we get done, you can hear me laughing or something where it's like, I think, I don't know, somebody says fuck or something. It's and probably me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that was you. You're like, mm. fuck. And then it, I don't know. I, I just love that that's in there because it, it, it's a reflection of that energy that we've got, that, that, um, the fun that we're having, yeah. I guess, mm. in that room together. So versus like every, how every good emo album needs to just have mm. like a guy just yelling fuck at one point before a breakdown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me um. just sucking at tracking and like <laughs> just fucking up right at the end. Boop. Fuck! Yeah, dude, that was, I don't know what, why that was so hard to record at the beginning of the sow. Like, yeah. I just, like, could not get it. It's just syncopation isn't your yeah. thing, man. No, no. <laughs> I, I don't know. Dude, rhythm is not my thing. I, I feel everything out, which just means I don't practice. And then it just happens. Yeah. Yeah, the, the takeaway of this whole episode is just Bert does not like practice. No, <laughs> no, I love being in bands and I hate every single thing involved with the process. <laughs> yeah. The duality. Yeah, yeah. I really love it. Um, <laughs> oh, I have to do the thing that I spent ten thousand dollars on equipment for. <laughs> yeah. oh, I guess. Yeah. Uh, kind of continuing on that. Um, this doesn't have to be something from the EP necessarily. It could be like. A moment from a live show, or when you were really you're first listening to the mixes of the EP, and really feeling that sense of accomplishment. But uh, describe a moment where you really feel like Baumgartner as a project was accomplishing what you wanted it to individually as a musician, as like I said, as a whole entity, um, as an EP maybe for that. Um, just one where you really are feeling a sense of like this is why. I want to do this. This is why, despite hating every single aspect of the process, <laughs> it reminds you like this is why it's all worth it in the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it for me, um, really like live shows are what give me that sense of accomplishment. I mean, I think the one of the more recent shows that we played when we played at the Rose Club, it was that show was. Like it was fantastic. It was the like one of the first shows that we had where it really felt like, damn, we sounded like a proper band mm -hmm. and like people were going ape shit. And like, I mean, that's that's one thing that always um, gives me a sense of fulfillment is when I play a song, you know, with this band and people start moving, you mm -hmm. know, that's the sign to me that it's good. You know, mm -hmm. it's like if people, if the song doesn't make people want to thrash around and like push people, it's not, <laughs> it's not hitting, you know what yeah, I mean? And, um, like 
just having that power to be able to have people just like move and, yeah. and get their shit out. Like that's something that always like fills me with like joy and mm -hmm. a sense of like, yes, like yeah. I did the thing, you like, know, your catharsis is, is like causing their catharsis. Yeah. Almost. It's like right. secondhand, but mm -hmm. like not the to change the action. Yeah. 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 That's a better way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> no, ex exactly that. I mean, cause I mean, it's no, it's no secret that we've had better and worse shows. Oh, like yeah. we've, <laughs> per we've performed pretty poorly a couple times. Yeah. All, felt <laughs> all of us have had that happen but like mm. i think we always do the best when we're playing like a house show or something a little mm. bit more intimate where because i what i'm thinking of is that show that was i can't remember the name of the house venue it was the one mm. nearby my place um, um oh like in Co oh the pink house show yeah, where we house, played yeah. in the backyard yeah yeah that show people was were kicking up mud and shit people yeah. were getting kicked like pushed onto the stage the yeah stage, yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> like it was crazy people were going absolutely fucking ape shit at that mm -hmm. show and like people were swinging like fucking crowd killing on like yeah, our set. Oh and i was like us really <laughs> oh my god like, all right but yeah no it's it's those they're, moments they're are windmilling sick. to windmill yeah, yeah yes, exactly <laughs> like it no literally um <laughs> No, it, it's that show. Yeah, the Rose Club gig. And then like, oh, I'm trying to think. I mean, just shows that have that inspire people to move that yeah. which then inspires me to move and get mm -hmm. more. Well, it's the liquor kind of <laughs> ramps up over the course of the set. And then like, you know, fucking like yelling at the audience <laughs> while I'm playing, and shit, you know, being, yeah. like getting really aggro, but in, like in a friendly way. Right. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's really cool too about the Rose Club show is like we even had that one technical difficulty. I think in the first song we played that they couldn't hear the vocals. But oh, yeah. We just that was the show. Yeah, we just played in Yeah, okay. The show sounds really familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's it was great too because it's like it, it still flowed like it didn't bother yeah. us. We just played the song again, and then it was almost. It was almost good that it happened because it was like, you know, we played it without people couldn't hear the vocals, but it was still fun. And then we played it. Oh, now people can hear the vocals. It's like, oh, shit. Now it's actually here. It's like mm -hmm. elevated the the second time that we played it. But it, it just it felt really natural, you know, and, and I have a tendency to kind of go into a trance when I play drums, too. So I don't really know what the fuck's going on. But, you know, that's the point of why I play in this band, too. And, you know, the music that we create is because it's like I can have that you know, almost like spiritual meditative, if I can even use that word, but the music that I play on drums is, it's why I love it, you know, and even extending that too, to the, to the recording, especially like with Mr. Yes, that auxiliary percussion that I do in the beginning, you know, having it sound like that ethereal carnival evilness, you know, that I mentioned, you know, bringing it full circle back to the beginning, that kind of evil, nasty, slimy feeling, I can actually, you know, create something like that, you know, and then have it hit into something that's very tangible and very, you know, makes you want to move. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, what does the future hold for the band? I know we kind of talked about a little earlier, got some songs in the bank that mm -hmm. are recorded and waiting to game the Spotify algorithm and mm -hmm. all that <laughs> song and dance that we love to do in 2023 and mm -hmm. so on. Um, but yeah, beyond that, what, what, what are we, what are we looking forward to? Yeah. Um, I mean, right now we're in the process of, of writing an album. Um, we have like quite a few tracks already written. I mean, I want to say we have like seven or eight songs that are part of this like newer batch. Um, and I, it's kind of seeing us just leaning in more to that, that heavy sludgy sound and, and, incorporating more elements of, of hardcore and, um, 
just other forms of like extreme music um, while maintaining that sort of pop sensibility. Um, and that's, that's, that's really what we're looking forward to is just making that record. And then, you know, from there it's, you know, playing more shows and seeing where that takes us, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, I, I don't necessarily have any, grandiose ambitions um with this band but um i i know that it's something that makes me happy and something that really fills my time and the more i put into it the more i find myself growing and developing as a person and that's all i really hope for is you know as we continue to go on we grow and change and um we just keep making music that you know, fulfills us and, and makes other people want to fucking move or even inspire them to take on artistic projects of their own, you know, so just like punch somebody. Yeah. yeah. You know, we'll, let it we'll out. Start man. small. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, break some shit, you know, whatever's going on in your Limp life. Biscuit said it best. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's the writing. I feel like we're bomb gardener as, as somebody who's newer to the band. Mm. Bomb gardener is kind of a, kind of a, kind of a band that has had an, a rocky trajectory. Yeah. Mm. Lots of stops and starts and mm -hmm. stalls and like, oh, you're going and then it just fucking mm -hmm. free falls for a second. But like, that's one thing. And that happens to a lot of bands. Like, mm -hmm. Keep for Cheap has been, had that at certain points. Mm -hmm. Like, every project I've been has Basically, had that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. but like, we're also like definitely at a point where like the, the two years, Jesus Christ, I think it's been two years mm -hmm. that I've been in the band. Like, we have been sort of like, slowly morphing into like what I think a final form is because you've got all of these different songs that sound really different mm -hmm. from each other but they're all clearly Ted Tiedemann's songs mm -hmm. you got all the idiosyncrasies and all the little quirks of the mm -hmm. way that you write your songs and they're there but like these new songs are becoming more and more and more and more like these are Baumgartner songs because mm -hmm. if you listen yeah. to some of the older ones it's like okay well this is like this is a Melvin song this is mm -hmm. a Nirvana song this right, is right. you know but as written by Ted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think we're definitely like really solidifying more of this like bomb gardener sound, which right. is nice. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. cool. And like, we're getting better at writing songs. And it's faster at mm -hmm. writing yeah. songs. It used to be like fucking forever. Yeah. yeah. But well, yeah. And I think like solidifying that bomb gardener sound also kind of goes in tandem with how, you know, the dynamic between the three of us is in rehearsals and how we write songs together too. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and like with what Ted said too, you know, I used to have pretty ambitious ideas of where I want to be at a certain age or where I want to be at a certain point with, uh, you know, a band and its success or whatever. But like, you know, at my point in my life, it's like, I just, I like having this project to play drums in this way, you know, and be so aggressive and, you know, put myself in a trance like that. I mean, at this point, it's just fun for me uh, and it's something that I value highly. So you know, all I really want to do at this point with this band is to just keep growing, keep writing music that sounds more and more like Baumgartner and at the same time, you know, improve my drumming, you know, grow as a drummer and, you know, write my own parts that also fit with that Baumgartner sound too, you know, so we can just keep writing better music and keep having as much fun as we can. Mm -hmm. So keep, keep moving forward. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I like wrapping interviews up in the same way. Uh, I like starting in the same way. Uh, and this is the point where we can get our phones out if we need to. But uh, what are some of the local or maybe underappreciated bands, artists, collaborators, friends that you want to shout out that you think people should know about, that think mm. people should check out? Like, who have you gigged with? Who have you seen? Who or doesn't have to be local? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's love it when it is because yeah. you know there's just so many goddamn local bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Non derogatory. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they were spreading the love a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I I guess there's there's quite a few bands that have been inspirational in terms of Baumgartner coming together on its own as well. I mean, bands like in Lou and and Grandma and Harper's Jar, um, those were some bands that really like energized me and 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 made me go, oh, it's possible to write this kind of stuff um, for you know this kind of audience, and people are doing it locally here too. And um, you know, as we've gigged more and more, there's you know plenty of other bands i mean you know like we always love playing with like blue driver oh, yeah. Hell haze, yeah. haze gazer great. i mean just like great group of people and like always looking to try and just like connect with those folks and mm-hmm. you know um i mean other other bands i mean like we love like new primals um mm-hmm. trying to think of other stuff i mean I the, new primals uh, in a minute I, mm-hmm. are they still together I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, so. Uh, yeah, it seems like they might be just like writing and stuff right now or whatever, taking a seat back. But I mean, yeah, all I, all of those those bands, those groups, I mean, um, like Small Animal Hospital. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, like I'm trying to think of more. Every man, band we've ever played. Every yeah, band yeah. we've ever. I mean, honestly, it's, <laughs> it's been um, really cool. I mean, Floodwater Angel has, has been, you know, amazing as Death well. Sounds. Death sounds. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, falling with scissors. Um, just, yeah. Like so many incredible artists who are doing their own thing and have, you know, received us so well. And, you know, we've always just wanted to reciprocate that, that energy of, of appreciation for what people do. And, um, yeah, we just hope to, you know, keep making those connections with these people because, um, that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, it's just making those friends and those relationships and, um, you know, kind of bonding together over the music. Yeah. But. What if the music scene was the friends we made along the way? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes it is it, yeah. literally, I mean, yeah, literally, yeah, yeah literally. <laughs> yeah. That's the end of my thoughts. Facts. Facts yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, Especially earlier on too, I think what Ted said too, like bands like Grandma and I don't know if Heart to Gold is still around, but like yeah. Yeah. those those were the bands that I really like awed me in the in the DIY scene. Like I didn't know that those bands existed around here. And I that was like those bands earlier on, like I mean, I'm three or four years ago when I'm 17, 18, I'm still pretty young. Like I connected with that energy. It was it was I that my first introduction to those basement shows where people are going ape shit. Um, you know, and I, and I just, I really appreciate that kind of music. Um, and I also just love Allergen too. That's another band. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I mean like, yeah, the basement shows, like I've bitched about basement shows a good Mm -hmm. amount in my Mm -hmm. life. Rightfully so. (laughs) I mean, sometimes they suck, but when they're on, they're on, man. It's like, I like them more as a viewer than a performer sometimes because I don't like carrying a bunch of heavy equipment down like Nobody rickety stairs. Yeah. But <laughs> but like through because like Keeper Cheap is we're booking our tour mm-hmm. for like in March and um, that process has kind of made us all sort of realize how special the 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 Twin Cities are in, in particular in the Midwest, like just with this DIY scene, like because. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's going to be a DIY scene kind of in pockets everywhere, but like I've been trying to book in um, Bozeman, Montana right now, and there's just not really any of that vibe. There's no mm-hmm. like the house DIY scene, isn't that? Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's bands that play in bars mm-hmm. for hours, you know, and they have these long sets. Mm-hmm. And it's like out here, there's not to sound cliche, but it's like it's a little bit less like. Oh, what's the word like monetarily driven mm, like yeah, yeah there's there's the band industrial complex where all the money that goes into your band just goes into being a band mm, yeah but yep. like <laughs> yeah but it's like you know i think there's so much energy out here of just like wanting to rock and like wanting mm. to like make connections and be hanging out with people and just sharing spaces and mm. creating spaces which is super duper cool mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so true uh all right, where can people find the band online? What what are the pluggables we got? How do how do we stay up to date on everything? Spotify, um, Apple Music, any streaming service you can listen to the EP. Uh, Instagram, Twitter are all we really use. We're on Facebook, but who gives a fuck about Facebook? Um, yeah, we will. We don't try to overload people's feeds you're probably not going to hear from us all the time but when we have something to say we'll have something to say and you'll see it so you know just keep your eye out you know yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. definitely check it out stay tuned Mm -hmm. uh thank you so much y'all for taking time out of your day to Mm -hmm. chat i'm glad we could finally like this is it's it's always fun when it takes like four years to get a band on the podcast. <laughs> we think we're like, oh, we, this band's really cool. We should have them on the show. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, mm. COVID, <laughs> recording, yeah. busyness, this was yep. like takes years. And finally, we got you here. So yeah, I appreciate no. that. Almost yeah, cut your absolutely. finger off. And yeah, yeah, almost cut my finger off. And mm. you're yeah, just trying so. to get out of the live side. You're like, I don't want to play tomorrow. <laughs> Die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But yeah, no, thank you so much for having us. This is cool. It's been, you know, f- yeah, four years in the making. And so very <laughs> glad to long, be yeah, here. Yeah. 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 So that yeah. happened now. It's really mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you so much. The Ear Coffee podcast is a companion to the blog of the same name. If you like this episode, please leave us a rate and review so we can stand out among the other music podcasts. You can follow us at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ear Coffee. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.